This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. So we got the Fed decision as expected, the Fed leaving rates unchanged. Uh, They did also talk about um, the outlook a little bit. We'll get into that. Fed funds, though, showing an increased odds of a rate cut by July. So we automatically start to look at that next meeting. And as we did hear hear from Charlie, a little bit of a market reaction. We're seeing the equity market certainly show some firming up, some support there. And as for the bond market, we did see a little bit of a movement down in yield. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Let's go through the statement. We've got our team here. Let's set the Bloomberg uh, economic agenda here. Kathleen Hayes is Global Economics and Policy Editor at Bloomberg News. She's in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, along with Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor at Bloomberg News. Kathleen, um, what draws your attention here? I think something very, very important to point out immediately is besides the fact that, you remember, every three months, the Fed updates its summary of economic projections, their forecast for GDP, unemployment, inflation, and and given what they expect the economy to do, what they think the appropriate level of the funds rate would be. Now, it's uh, eight officials now see cuts in 2019. Nobody was looking for cuts before. So this is the first time since the dots were invented that you're seeing officials predict cuts. That's a lot of Fed momentum all of a sudden, right? Well, of course, but it's still one person looking for a hike. Maybe that's Esther George. She thinks there shouldn't be an insurance rate cut. She's worried about financial excesses. But importantly, this is the one that really gets me. Jim Bullard, president of the St. Louis Fed, cast the first dissent of the Powell era. He called for, he's ascending, he wanted the Fed to cut 25 basis points today. I think this is going to resonate, certainly in the world of central banking, certainly everybody who's watching the Fed. uh, uh, Lucky me, I'm going to be an uh, Jim Bullard next week out at the St. Louis Fed. Uh, but this is just, I, 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 I didn't expect a dissent. And you know why? Because right now with President Trump, you know, right. bashing a Powell again, right. attacking I figured, him. I think they've tried so hard to, to line up solidly behind Jay Powell, all of them, I think, since this started. And yeah. I think it's very significant that Jim Bullard feels so strongly about this and maybe confident enough in Jay Powell and the Fed that he can, he can make this. He is a voter. We don't know if anybody else would have dissented who, among the non-voters, right? But this really strikes me as important. We mentioned, so the Fed keeping their target rate at two and a quarter to two point five percent, removing the reference to being, quote, patient. It's a word we've talked about a lot uh, here at Bloomberg, uh, patient on rates and says, quote, uncertainties around its outlook have increased. The FOMC saying it will, quote, act as appropriate to sustain the expansion and, quote, closely monitor incoming information. And that is certainly language that echoes Jay Powell's recent speech, but is new to the statement, Jason. So some changes here. Yes, some definite changes. And as we look at the equity reaction, Dave Wilson, come on in here because the market, the equity markets seem to be okay with this. They certainly are, if only because, you know, you now have the door being open to possible rate cut at the end of July, which, you know, you, you look at those Fed funds futures and their predictive power. I mean, that's sort of you yeah. know, the, the consensus view right now. 
Uh, Money that, stays cheap, right? And it, that'll push investors to look for you know ways to up their yield in terms of their performance, and that includes the equity markets. Absolutely. You take a look at the 10-year Treasury at the moment, 2.05% yield. Uh, let's put that in context with the S&P 500 uh, by checking out the dividend yield. 1.92%. So, you know, it's a bit more than a tenth of a point. That's all you have to give up right. to put your money in stocks relative to bonds. So, you know, you, you get That's some idea of, of where the uh, interest would be for investors looking for income. Okay, a couple other things I think to point out. It, it's it's important that they see that they saw consumer spending picking up a bit from the first mm-hmm. of the year. We saw that retail sales report last mm-hmm. week. Investment remains soft. Um, they call, characterize the economy as moderate. They had a, a characterized it solid. I don't think that's a big difference. Really interesting, you guys. This is very important too because you know I just said for the dot plots and the yeah. economic projections. One of the things they forecast is inflation. Will they cut it? They cut the estimate for their preferred inflation gauge. Uh, the PCE deflator is expected to increase just 1.5% in 2019, and that was down from a 1.8 projection in March. Uh, now, and even by uh, next year, both measures of inflation they target are projected to rise 1.9%. So they're optimistic that something will be better next year. But remember, even with the consumers looking better, with the trade tensions, with this concern about where things are heading, the fact that they had to lower their inflation projections, or that they did, right? I think that's probably another reason why eight of them, right, right. are looking for the cut now, right? And Jim Bullard had said when he spoke to us on Bloomberg Television about, what, three weeks ago now? Well, you know, why bother? Why made a 25 basis point cut? And he said, well, if nothing else, it will show people that we're serious about boosting inflation. I think this has been a big deal on Jim Bullard and other people's our screen that they're be no, they're not getting closer to two percent. They've been getting further away. I do wonder too. I think it was Krishna Mamani who was on surveillance this morning, and I do wonder. I think she right rightfully calling like way back when, when nobody would anticipate that this expansion could go on as long as it did, uh, called it correctly and saying that I think we could have like five more years of an expansion. And I think about this environment where rates are staying low and whether or not we have maybe subpar growth, but it's enough to keep things growing. And that has been the story, arguably, for much of the bull market, that uh, you know, you've had inflation stay down. You've had you know, the economy kind of chugging along, slow but sure growth. And that's been enough to sustain what's now a 10-year bull market and a 10-year economic expansion, assuming, assuming we're still expanding at this point. I, I can't help but think back, though, to last week when, when our president tweeted, the United States has, in capital letters, very low inflation, a yeah. beautiful thing. And no yeah. doubt he may be back well, to that subject. Well, but I guess what, the you know, the thing the about expansions is they don't die of old age. And that's been proven by, by studies, Fed right. studies. Janet Yellen said that. Then Ben Bernanke at that famous panel on they were on about six months ago said, I like to say they don't die of old age. I like to say they get murdered. In other words, right. they get murdered by right. missteps on Fed policy. And so that would be the debate now. Is it in danger? It doesn't have to end. You're absolutely right. So the bull market go on. But the Fed then has a very important role in making the correct steps. And is the correct step now to drop your patience 
and get get yourself lined up for the rate cut. And I still say, I think, what other central bank in history at a turning point like this has had to deal with a trade war? Right. And the Correct. fact that in a, in a week and a half or in a, in a week now in at the G20 right. meeting, Trump and she get things back on track right. and we actually get a deal but in the next few months. I do think about that global discussion. You're just back from Japan talking with um, Governor Kuroda. Governor Kuroda, the Bank of Japan. And I just think about also what we got from the ECB. Like, everybody seems to be playing in this world of a very low-rate environment, and it continues. And I do wonder whether or not there needs to be not coordination, like planned coordination, but I do wonder if everybody's kind of watching each other in terms of what's going, and there needs to be some similarity in terms of policy. Well, they're certainly making that signal. Crota said if they, he doesn't think they need to do whatever it takes, but he will. Yeah. Uh, Draghi making it clear. They're waiting right. to see. Right. They're waiting to take the step. The Fed start, has made that turn toward at least being more, starting some rate cuts. So, they, but you're right. They're all, it's a low interest rate world. It's a low inflation world. They can't get inflation up, and they're worried about the long-lasting impact of this trade war, even if it gets resolved anytime soon. So, Dave Wilson, if you're an equity investor, what do you want to hear from Jay Powell when he takes the microphone in uh, about half an hour? Well, really, just sort of confirmation, in essence, you know, taking patient out of the statement uh, was really sort of a forerunner of what's to come in terms of policy. You know, as much as anything, you know, that's going to be the issue because you've got a market that's sort of set up for it. I will say, though, it's interesting to see in today's trading, if you look at what's leading in the stock market, it's the more defensive areas, yeah. healthcare, yeah. utilities, real estate. Talk about that search for income, and it right. looks like it's playing out. You know, even as uh, people go through what the central bank had to say. Listen, I'm thinking President Trump, does he like this? It makes, what, for a weaker U.S. currency? Well, he's got to love that. Uh, that, But I think that's just a whole other level, layer of complication yes. when the president seems to be signaling that maybe he is going to start a currency war on many fronts. Yeah. And I, th- I think Mario Draghi appropriately said, hey, look, you know, we're responding to the economy. What he didn't add is, you know, you started the trade war, and it's one of the things that's weighing on us and one of the reasons right. we have to be in this position. Kathleen, what would you want to hear, or what would you ask Jay Powell right now? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, Hmm. Why didn't you move today? What's it going to take for you to move? Yeah. What are you waiting for? And uh, if isn't it in this whole notion of regardless of how and when we end the trade war, the damage it's done to investment, uh, to confidence for for companies, et cetera, uh, that that doesn't go away immediately. What does it hurt? to cut now. Just find out right. what was in his mind about why not really pushing for the step right now, as Jim Bullard said they should. Seems like it will be an interesting series of questions yes. coming at Jay Powell. Uh, that's coming up in about 19 uh, minutes or so. So many thanks to our team here, Kathleen Hayes, Global Economics and Policy Editor for Bloomberg. We know she's going to go back, keep digesting, be listening intently uh, to Chair Powell in just a few minutes. And Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor for Bloomberg. He'll be back a little later on with his chart and stock of the day. Much more coming up with this big Fed decision and Jay Powell straight ahead. But first, let's get to Bob Moon, who's got some world national headlines. Hey, Bob. Jason, thank you. They were seeking possible testimony on obstruction of justice by President Trump. But leaders of the House Judiciary Committee are being stymied by Trump's objections to the closed-door interview of his former communications director, Hope Hicks. The White House has said she is absolutely immune from testimony with respect to her service to the president, and a lawyer is in the room making that assertion. Democratic Committee member Ted Lieu says the refusal to testify has reached the ridiculous with questions being asked like, where is the office located, and objections being raised. 
Hicks is considered a possible witness to alleged obstruction of justice by the president. The House Aviation Subcommittee is looking into the steps Boeing and the airlines that own 737 MAX aircraft are taking to fly safely when the plane returns to service. Bloomberg's Irv Chapman reports from Capitol Hill. Okay, I'm sorry we don't have that report from Irv. The Trump administration reportedly is threatening to furlough and possibly lay off 150 employees at the Office of Personnel Management if Congress gets in the way of a plan to eliminate the department. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and at TikTok on Twitter. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Bob Moon. Bob, thanks so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly and Carol Masser here with you on Fed Day on Bloomberg Radio. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that investors had a lot of mixed emotions going into this Fed decision. And as we saw from the decision, there's a split thinking when it comes to the Federal Open Market Committee, the Fed, uh, in terms of what we should potentially be doing. Let's get into this with Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist here at Bloomberg Intelligence in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Pucha Pasquale is Managing Director Partner over Pacific Alternative Asset Management, uh, joining us on the phone from Irvine, California. Ira, let's get to you. Uh, we just had a great discussion with Kathleen Hayes and Dave Wilson. Tell me what jumps out at you, what you think is really notable in this latest Fed decision. And there was a like mixed thinking going into it in terms of investors, the street, and now we see even the Fed's got kind of mixed thinking. Yeah. So I think firstly, the, the, the Fed did not disappoint. So the market was certainly pricing for the Fed to be dovish. And they were, I think, just appropriately dovish. I think there was the big risk. And a lot of people were thinking that maybe they would take back some optionality and not be as dovish as the market thought. But I think between the dot plot and what they said in the statement, they kind of just met the market's expectations and not a whole lot more. And, you know, you do see a little bit of a market reaction because the thing is, if the Fed's a little dovish now, they could get more dovish later. And certainly the market seems to be pricing uh, that can, in a little bit. Can I just say the 10-year, which was about 208, heading into that Fed decisions now at 204. Well, more importantly, I think, look at the two-year note. Because yes, the two-year exactly. note has rallied almost seven basis points. And, and, you know, that's meaningful because that means that the market's starting to think that the Fed's going to cut even more than the four times it was already uh, pricing into the market. So, Pucho Pasquale uh, from Pamco, come on in here on the phone from Irvine, California. Big takeaway for you. Uh, my sense is that the Fed is keeping its options open. Uh, it's not it's not going to cut until it sees something bad because it's trying to save its bullet. Uh, that's you know for me that's takeaway number one and number two is that. Chairman Powell uh, is very much aware that all eyes are on him, uh, where every word, you know, every nuance is going to be dissected. And to the extent that he is coming across more hawkish than anticipated, uh, market sentiment could turn pretty quickly. Well, and I do wonder now, what is the goal and mission of Fed Chairman Jay Powell when he when he holds his, the Fed conference, you know, his press conference? He's obviously going to make a statement, but I do wonder about the questioning. And Ira, what do you think his mission needs to be here? Well, I think it needs to be, what does it mean that you have almost half the members now calling for two cuts yeah. this year? 
year. I think that's what he has to come back because you now have a, almost a split committee where you have half the people who think they should be on hold and that they should wait until they see more data before they actually do anything. And then you have others that think we should cut now. And in fact, the fact that James Bullard dissented, I think, means that maybe there's a, you know, a contingent where you know, it used to be that if you had one dissent, you knew that there were probably two or three other people behind that person right. who just didn't dissent because it, they didn't want to send that strong of a message. Well, and Pudria, one of the things I wonder is the the sort of geopolitical backdrop here. You know, we're heading into uh, a week, a uh, week, 10 days where President of the United States is going to be in Osaka, Japan, meeting with his counterpart from China, President Xi. Those trade winds certainly are playing through this economy right now. How do you balance that out if you're an investor, what we heard from the Fed today and what we're hearing from a geoeconomic perspective? Well, as investors look at uh, the potential of a trade war and, you know, and on the other side, the, the Fed standing by to support the economy, uh, all the good news seems to have been priced in, meaning that the market is anticipating two rate cuts by year end. That seems to be a foregone conclusion. Market is also anticipating that uh, trade war with China is going to be averted. Same with Mexico. Yesterday, we saw that uh, after the tweet from the president, the market bounced pretty strongly. So all of these good news have been priced in. Um, but the question is, if the meeting, for whatever reason, does not go well, or we wake up to a tweet that is hostile um, to China, uh, that those issues uh, are real and they haven't been priced in. So my sense is that investors um, are still uh, very optimistic, but it's best to consider caution going forward, especially uh, where pricing is in the market. I mean, I, I do think about, and, and Putri, you know, I think about G20, right? So it's not this weekend, it's next weekend. And I do wonder if we get some resolution on some of these, as folks around this table have, have, have termed policy gaps, right? If we get some resolution between China and the United States, how might that think, how might that impact the Fed thinking? Yeah, what think, it means for interest rates. I think that's one of the ironies here is that a lot of the angst and a lot of the certainly the market worry and market fear is really predicated on things that are, you know, quote unquote, man made. Right. So these yeah. are actually policy decisions that someone can make. So if there is a, you know, kind of blanket resolution with all of the different trade angst that have been going on with the White House and other countries, all of a sudden you can see not only risk assets do OK, but also, you know, quite frankly, the bond market sell off pretty significantly. So compared to where the economy is, we're already very rich to fair value, at least what we estimate fair value to be. So you can wind up seeing a pretty big pullback here. And actually, the Fed maybe take back a little bit of its dovishness as well, assuming that, uh, you know, these trade problems go away. Putra, you, you agree with that? Yes, uh, especially the last point uh, where between Fed policy and, you know, removal of trade war risk, they are moving in different direction, meaning that should we receive bad news, um, you know, on, on trade, then the Fed will step in. But should we receive good news on trade, meaning no trade war, uh, many people say, oh, that's going to be hugely positive. But consider that if we receive good news on the trade war front, that the Fed actually has room now to step back and said, we don't need to cut rates because, you know, the, the, the risk to the economy has been you know, removed or significantly reduced. And so, Putri, let me ask you this very simple question. Are they doing a good job at this point? Is the Fed doing a good job? Are they, are they doing the things that they need to? Are they saying the things they need to say? Obviously, knowing we're going to hear more from Jay Powell in just a few minutes. Yeah, I think they're doing the best they can. Uh, it's very treacherous um, 
environment, obviously with, with the market being so strong. One thing that I, I, I think is worth considering for investors is the fact that the Fed, when we think about the Fed and, and what it's going to do, um, historically we always say the Fed has you know, two missions, and then that's you know, price stability and employment. But let's be realistic if we look at the Fed's guidance, what they say and what they do. And what they say and what they do actually have been very consistent. They're trying to guide and, and not to spook the market. They've done a great job doing that. They actually have been operating based on the third mission. It's it's the one that is not their official mission, uh, but it's very important to them clearly is to keep the market steady. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that that's let's you know, let's just right. be frank, right? That's kind of what Chairman Powell said, is that he's going to do, they're going to do whatever's necessary, um, you know, to, to keep the expansion. Well, something that certainly catches the market attention is when we see an inverted yield curve, right? We've had it, what, twice this year so far, Ira? Mm-hmm. So I do wonder, like, where are we in terms of what we're seeing in the yield curve and what it tells us about the economic outlook and how the Fed is kind of managing that against everything else? Right. So, you know, the the yield curve has predicted nine of the last five recessions. So let's, you know, let's put, it in perspective. Get, 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 put that a little bit in perspective. The you know the the market does think that we're going to have a slower economy going forward. I mean that's the reason why interest rates are where they are. That's the reason why we're um, pricing for multiple rate cuts over the next eighteen months. And and quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why I think the Fed wants to be a little bit cautious because the Fed does take into account some what the market is telling them and what the market thinks might happen. The Fed won't necessarily you know. It's just not going to throw caution to the wind and do whatever the market wants if they don't think that it warrants it. But it is one of the indicators that that uh, the Fed uses, and it's certainly one of the, you know, which is interesting because at the same time the the market is also trying to gauge what the Fed is going to do. So right. there's always this weird push and pull between uh, between those two things. Pucci, do you feel like uh, the Fed chairman Jay Powell is feeling any pressure from the White House, President Trump specifically? He certainly has kind of been out there again attacking. Fed policy? It does seem like it, at least, you know, as market participants, as outsiders, we can only observe, um, you know, external signals. Um, and then I would just point to, you know, Powell's stance last year, uh, end of last year, and his about face earlier this year, yeah. as well as his most uh, recent statement. Well, and I, I, I think about that about face in a lot of ways, and we've talked mm-hmm. a lot about this around this table, this idea of if we went back in the time machine and talked to you in November of 2018, it's hard to imagine this is where we are right now. Th- think about that. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, that, that's right. You know, So you go back to October, November last year, and we were talking about three interest rate hikes before the Fed yeah. was going to end, right? So it was supposed to be one hike in December last year, two hikes this year. And we've completely priced the, just the opposite. So the market's not always right, right? This was one of the points I was trying to make before. And these things can change based on the incoming data. So you wind up with, uh, I, I think, a market, and, and Jay Powell did this too. He saw the incoming data in early January. Um, you know, yes, he turned around what he was thinking about. I don't think it was because of what the president said, though, right? I think it was right. more about if you looked at just the data and you didn't take into account some of the trends that were going on globally, then you'd think that you should have hiked in, in December and then been done. And in fact, that was in November. If you had talked to me, because you can read my research from back then, <laughs> I said basically 
that's what they were going to do. Yeah. Uh, now, did I think they were going to cut this year? No. I mean, I thought that the economy was going to mutter along and just be strong enough for them not to. But things have changed. And when things change, you have to change your, your outlook on things. And, you know, the Fed has done that as well. Well, we talk about how long this, you know, economic cycle is. And I do wonder, I'm just looking at the headline on our story here on the Bloomberg. And it talks, it says the Fed indicated readiness to cut interest rates for the first time in more than a decade. Yeah. Like, we forget, right? We have not seen a Fed cut. Yeah. So, uh, you know, global growth and, and economic and cycles have gotten yeah. much longer. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it's been 10 years since they cut. And, you know, be, but before that, it was 10 years since they raised yeah. <laughs> interest rates as well. Right. And they didn't raise interest rates nearly as much as they have during past cycles because the economy didn't grow quite as quickly and inflation wasn't as high as it was in the past either. So, it's it's interesting to, to look at, you know, watching our uh, top live blog on this. And, and this goes to demonstrate also, the criminology that goes into this all the time. And, and Putri, just reading you this, the Fed takes out the quote, as always, from Powell's earlier comment. That's what he said on June 4th. Closely monitoring the implications of these developments for the U.S. Econom- economic outlook. And as always, we will act as appropriate to s- sustain yeah. the expansion. They took out the as always. That's sort of a strange, uh, <laughs> it is a, sort of a strange removal, don't you think? Jason, welcome to FedSpeak. I know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, you know, uh, the, the, the place that, you know, Chairman Powell is in, it, it's, it's a really tricky situation. Yeah. And, I feel like he's really trying to balance, you know, providing the market with guidance. Um, but at the same time, given that some of the data is mixed and not entirely clear, you know, growth is still pretty good, but it, it's slowing down. And then with the recent news about what, you know, Draghi is doing, um, I think he wants to leave as much room as possible yeah. uh, to save the bullet, save optionality, um, and, and, you know, kind of act appropriately as things go along, but he doesn't want to lock them into a particular position. So Pucci, I feel like optionality what? is going to be the word that we're going to keep talking about instead of patient. Optionality is the new patient, huh? So Pucci, right, right. Pucci, what's the investment play for you guys right now off of this? So uh, if you look at, you know, optionality exactly is the word. Um, so for investors, for us, uh, keeping optionality down the line is very important. Um, one is through effective use of cash, uh, but the other one is through diversification. And so what that means for us, you know, as I run my credit portfolio, is that if you look at opportunities that you don't want to go all in, but rather to size uh, opportunities appropriately, um, so that is risk management on the sizing front because we expect the market to be volatile going forward. Mm. Um, the second one is through a multi-strategy approach. As if you look at opportunities set in credit, now there's you know public market, there's private market, uh, up and down the capital structure. There's performing, there's special situation, there's stress, um, and then you could do you know bridge loans or you could do you know a mezzanine. So a lot of those have different risk factors, and a lot of these sub markets within credit move to its own, you know, beat of the drum and has their own technical factors and has their own risk factors. What's important is that investors, it's very, very difficult to call when the market turns. I mean, it's impossible. Uh, but also within credit, it's, it's very difficult to call exactly when, you know, oh, this is the spot when you are supposed to invest in mezzanine or this is the spot for you to sell high yield. All we can do is compare the risk and compare the pricing. So to the extent that you have a platform that right. can do multi-strategy and, you know, invest 
opportunistically only when the situation warrants. Um, that's the best playbook going forward just because the data isn't entirely clear and there's no low-hanging fruit. And Ira, I'm just thinking you're right now, you're going to write some research later on. What's the headline that you put out there? Well, I, I actually just published my reaction and it was that the dot plot marks the Fed to market. Don't expect steepening to last. Um, so it's basically the idea being that the, the problem is, is that for the Fed is that they can only cut interest rates eight times and then you're at the zero bound. Then what do they do? Right. So it's I think that the market is not going to steepen as much. So the two-year, 10-year curve isn't going to get as steep as it mm. normally does during this cycle, primarily because of the fear of more large-scale asset purchases, quantitative easing, yeah. once again at some point in the future if the Fed has to Can do you that. believe QE, Amazing. right? And we th- kind of feel like we got that from the We ECB, haven't even right? gotten done with quantitative tightening yet. <laughs> we have to start exactly. talking about QE. Here we are back again. All right. Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence and Putri Pasquale, Managing Director and Partner at Pacific Alternative Asset Management. We know them as PAMCO. She joined us on the phone from Irvine, California. Ira here with us in New York. You are listening to a Fed Day edition of Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly and Carol Masser here with you in New York City. And joining us here in the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studio to break down all things Jay Powell and the Fed, Alex Harris, bond reporter for Bloomberg, and Josh Wright, chief economist for ISEMS, both of them here with us in studio. Josh, I want to start with you. You are patiently listening. See, I said patient. <laughs> I said patient. Done. We don't say patient anymore. No. We've removed it. Right. But the time you, for patience has passed. Exactly. <laughs> but you seem to be patiently listening in the green room to everything that uh, Chair Powell was saying. What jumped out to you? Well, amazingly, uh, it seems like he's engineered his first soft landing of a difficult meeting. You know, we've really seen Jay Powell struggle um, in his tenure. The first couple of months were kind of easy for him because they were still on something like an autopilot. Yeah. But once he said that magic word of autopilot in December, the market freaked out. And he's really struggled with explaining how the Fed is responding to changing conditions. But today he seems to have finally found his stride. (laughs) Sorry, I had to sneeze there. Um, yeah, it's really fascinating. I want to talk a little bit deeper into what we got. Um, Alex, you know, we did see reaction in the bond market significantly. We've seen yields come in big time. Yeah, you know, in particular the front end, and we're looking at those Fed funds futures. I mean, more than 30 basis points of cuts priced in by the July meeting, and we're getting close to 75 basis points of cuts priced in by the end of the year. Do you really focus on that? Because I feel like, and Jay Powell reminds us, and we can see that, you know, and we've had these discussions, if you get trade resolved, you get some other things, like this market can move pretty quickly, and and the expectations can change dramatically. I think that's true, but I think the market has been driving the bus here. You know, so and where you've had John Williams and I think Cameron Kreis, you know, Mm -hmm. mentioned this in his post FOMC piece, you know, the Fed is very much whether anyone, whether you like it or not, they're beholden to the markets here. You know, and and that's the issue is like how if you're a trader and you're listening to what he says, why stop? I mean, I, I think there's there's limited there's a run here that you can make in the market because the Fed is now giving you all this room to say, oh, well, we could possibly see 25, 50 basis points of accommodation. So why not 75? You know, and, mm-hmm. and again, mm-hmm. I think that's why July is looking more like a possibility because there's still so much data we Right. need to see. Right. And we have a lot more data points to work off of in order for Jerome Powell and the FOMC to make that determination as to whether or not they can move. Well, and it's a really interesting point because that was something that Jay Powell really emphasized was, look, we're going to have a lot more to look at. I mean, he got a question early on that says, you know, will you, you know, will you have more? He's like, uh, he's almost like, you're darn right. I'll have more. To look, <laughs> at. I mean, he sort of came back a little hard. What's he going to be most focused on, Josh? 
in well, terms of data? The number one thing is going to be the jobs report. You know, was the weak May number just a total fluke, or right. do we actually have a trend here? Because so much of the outlook for the U.S. Pin, is pinned on the U.S. consumer, and the U.S. consumer is based on income, which is based on jobs. And that was really the whole case. He said, you run down the list of what's going on in the U.S. economy, what's strong is domestic spending by consumers, and everything else is iffy at best and sometimes downright weak. Well, and it's funny what you said about, you know, in terms of, he says, we see some areas, business fixed income, shortfall in inflation, job growth, all bears watching. And he made the point, one month's data, right? But they're keeping a watch on it to see if it's something more significant and is the start of a trend. Yeah, in some cases, in some ways, it was actually kind of a... it made it easier for them to be able to punt and say, look, we don't know what the situation is right now. Mm-hmm. So we can show that we are going to be attentive to any kind of downside risks, but we don't have to take action now. The real question comes once they got an extra month of data, then they really are accountable to the market. Are they going to take action or aren't they? You know, and I think what's interesting, too, he said, um, you know, last meeting in May, those cross currents, and he was talking about trade currents, concerns about global growth. He said last meeting in May, those cross currents seem to be moderating. He says those cross currents have reemerged. And so it's just a reminder, too, that they are watching every data point and everything and the cross currents in the market. And they can swing. We know that they can change rather dramatically. Well, and I think the other thing that, you know, and he alluded to this by talking about global growth, but I think you have to watch what's the rhetoric coming out of all these other central banks. You're looking at the Reserve Bank of Australia, accommodative policy in their minutes showed that there's further scope to cut there. The ECB, you and Mario Draghi come out this week in Sintra mm-hmm. and say, right. we could be more accommodated. We could do more QE, although that's like a whole nother technical issue because I don't see how they do that. But, you know, when they leave the door open, it pins Jerome Powell because how, as the as the global central bank and the world's reserve currency, how do you raise interest rates when everybody else is talking about more stimulus, rate cuts, and all these other issues moving in the other direction? Well, and you he can't did, do it. He did talk about all central banks are focused on their domestic mandates at this point, right? So people are looking inward. But I do wonder, Josh, about the interconnectivity among central banks, kind of watching what everybody else is doing and whether or not you want to be so off the path. Well, you can't be. There are some automatic yeah. feedback loops here yeah. in the markets when you look at what's going to happen to inflation expectations if other banks ease and the U.S. doesn't. Right. Fun- money is going to flow into U.S. bonds. That's going to affect ex- inflation expectations. Also, the dollar. So if the dollar strengthens because the Fed is on hold while other people are easing, the dollar is going to get stronger. That means manufacturing is going to have more headwinds. And we're right back where we started. So Jason and I were talking. Downside. We're like, okay, I'm driving in my car. All right, you guys are getting a little wonky on me. Tell me, <laughs> tell me, what, tell me what I need to know as an investor. And we just got... 20 seconds for you, Alex. Yeah, you, I, I think you've got to watch the Fed Fund futures market here. I, I think there is room to sell. I, I think there is room for these bets to get paired back. And the data will matter. So I, I think you just have to remember to be nimble here and, and to keep an eye on it. Also, curve steepeners, keep an eye on them. So let's put the question to you. Like, What do people, I'm thinking about driving in the cars, listening to this, or downloading our podcast later on, uh, are what do they need to know about this in terms of what it, how it impacts them? What's the important takeaway here from this Fed decision? Well, the Fed is definitely signaling that they've got your back. They want to support this recovery and this expansion. They want to make sure we don't tip over into the, the negative scenarios. But at the same time, um, they're not going to act hastily. And they, we don't know exactly uh, where the different camps lie within the, the Fed. We've got, two, we've got a very divided committee. Yeah. Some people want two, two cuts. Some people want to just hold on. So, Josh, this may be a dumb question, but, you know, if I'm a small business person, business person listening to this, I'm thinking about borrowing money. Do I wait uh, for a little while because money may get a little cheaper later this year? 
There, there's a lot of logic to that, and yeah. Chair Powell was asked about that in the uh, conference. He kind of avoided the question. He said that's not something we need to worry about, but I think if you are looking at your pocketbook, I'm sure there's a lot of information to get in just the next couple of weeks. Well, right. and I think about for the mortgage market, right? We have definitely seen that as rates have come down again, that that's given some impetus to folks looking at homes. Well, and the bond market tends to price things in ahead, so I mean... You already have a bond market that's pricing in cuts. Like yeah. you're going to see that follow through to the mortgage market. So even if the Fed announces cuts, like, you're you're okay borrowing now. I think so. I mean, there's no reason not to. Is as long as rates keep coming down. I mean, we're talking about the ten year just hovering over two percent right now. So I mean, why wouldn't you? But people do think about that. Yeah, I mean that that's where this where the rubber really meets the road from a consumer and a business perspective is how much is it going to cost me to borrow money, right? Well, I mean, we still don't know how much the Fed is going to cut or if they're yes, going to cut. Yeah. So the market is expecting it, right? You said yeah. over over uh, more than one cut is priced in for July, yeah. but the Fed could even come in with two cuts in July. We I, don't know. I still go back to Vince Signorella, who at the end of last year was talking about rate cuts, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all like, no, 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 no. And look at the environment we are. But it just is yeah. – it just – shows how things can change dramatically and you know very quickly oh absolutely and i think the fed you know and powell mentioned this in the press conference that they're going to try and remain nimble here you know i mean think about how quickly they they turn from you know the may 1st press conference and say you know like these cross currents have, have sort of mediated you know they're okay and now we're like uh oh no these risks are increasing so i mean you can see they're trying to be nimble in how they consider this and they're just trying to leave themselves a little bit of wiggle room here but it's like why why, you know, one of the right. things that came up this week is the balance sheet and people saying, well, if they're going to cut the balance sheet's going to have to, they're going to have to end that. And what I was hearing from people I speak with is no, they're not for a couple of reasons. One, the Fed never commits to an end date on anything. So if they've already committed that this is going to be over by the end of September, why would you deviate from that and risk losing credibility with the market? Because then people are going to be like, well, I don't believe you when you say something's going to end. Right. And then the second thing is the balance sheet's not their primary policy tool. And they've made that very clear. So these are a couple of the issues here that you're looking and you're like, "Eh, this is one thing the Fed's not straying from. All right. And Josh, just quickly, um, your thoughts in terms of what you are hearing. You guys watch the labor market. You hear about HR trends or, you know, and and labor trends. What are you hearing? We still see job growth strong, except for in the weak spot of manufacturing. Yeah. And that's where we still got other shoes to drop. You know, there are two big things, two kinds of things to focus on in the weeks ahead. One is what happens next week at the G20. You know, we get, we could be in either the upside or the downside based on what goes on there. And then also, we haven't seen all the data come out after the latest headlines of the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Good point. So we could see manufacturing still tail off. And Great be, point. And you want to watch business sentiment to see how that's impacting for sure. companies. All right. Josh Wright, you're the man. Chief economist for iSims here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. Alex Harris, you're the woman. Bond reporter for Bloomberg. Always setting they us straight. They are the people. I'm in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That punk music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. 
It is time for the drive to the close. Sandy Villery is partner at Villery Funds. They've got about $2 billion in assets under manager based in New Orleans, back in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio here in New York. The Villery Balance Fund, by the way, beating just about all of its peers so far this year. We've got a return, that fund, of about 15%. So, Sandy, nice to have you uh, back here in our studio. You know, it's remarkable. I was looking at the major equity averages. S&P is up 17%. Dow is now up 14% this year. NASDAQ is up 20% this year. You've got a balanced fund. I think the bond market, we've been trying to figure out exactly where do we settle in here. Um, how do you play it? You've been doing it fairly well this year in a year that hasn't been easy to call. Yeah, so our balance fund, we have about 60 to 70% in equities, and we've we got, yeah, and we've got something like 25 to 40% in, in fixed income, but we've been really... Is that pretty normal for you guys, or are that, That's over? where it's supposed to be by our prospectus, but in this particular, um, in this part of the cycle, we've got as close to 25% as we can possibly get, so we've been very underweight fixed income, or to the most we can. Uh, of course, it's been fantastic, and, and you see how it's uh, working out now. But that's a, I think that's going to be a, even more of a crowded trade, if you will. So, and, and you see the the ten year pushing towards two yeah. percent. It's kind of amazing after uh, the Fed, Fed comments. Almost. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and one other thing we do in our the fixed income side of our portfolio is we buy up to ten percent and less than investment grade um, uh, fixed income to try to get a little bit uh, a little bit more yield. So uh, we take risk, but it's risk we know we're taking and we're comfortable with that. And then in general, and on the equity side. We're, we're a little, I'd say we're unique in that we buy just 22 equities. So we're kind of, kind of concentrate our bets and we tend to be, uh, we're multi-cap, but we focus on small and mid-cap and we're, uh, I'd say, uh, growth at a reasonable price is sort of our, uh, is sort of our, uh, well, it's our getting goal. harder to do that, right? It is. You know, it's, I was just writing this down, but it's kind of interesting in the last, uh, you know, six to nine months, we've had four companies, um, get bought out. So it seems like there's, wow. there's a uh, fewer and fewer, um, uh, smaller caps that are, that are out there, which yeah. is interesting, but we just had a uh, Cypress semiconductor get bought out by Infineon um, this uh, just just last week. So right. uh, they're they're uh, almost disappearing in front of our own eyes. Which is right. And so as you went through this year, which as Carol said, it was not easy to uh, to perform to the level you did. It has been uh, so easy. Where were you? Where were you sort of making bigger bets? Or are there names that you felt more confident in amid this volatility? Yeah, we um, we we had a couple of a uh, couple of stocks perform well. Um, Euronet Worldwide has been a, a hmm. winner for us, and um, EEFT is the ticker. And uh, and certainly Cypress didn't didn't hurt getting uh, bought out. Right. Um, we had another uh, company, uh, Wabco WBC, get, get bought out as well. So it's um, it's just been an interesting. Is that an part of the strategy? Do you think about investing in those companies that are going to be special situations or targets? Yeah, we're always looking for an exit yeah. strategy, one way or the other. And so what's what's nice? I mean, if, if you buy Apple, there's no one's buying Apple out, right? So it's nice when you buy some of these younger things that have an opportunity to get taken out. And uh, it's interesting with Cypress, we've switched it over to On Semiconductor, which we also think has a possibility of getting taken right. out one day. Right. Yeah. What is it about the that I mean that Chips are not for yeah. the faint of heart right now. I mean, Correct. given how much they have gone back and forth, largely based on uh, the trade war, how comfortable you are are you in that space, or is it very name specific? It's very name specific. Uh, you know, we, we try to buy the ones that are that are uh, some of the cheaper ones, so maybe the downside would be somewhat somewhat limited. On is trading at about ten or eleven times earnings, so mm. very inexpensive. Yeah, and uh, they've got a great content strategy. They're growing that nicely, so that. Uh, when you look at them versus their peer groups, uh, they're really 
they're going to get some some decent uh, revenue growth as opposed to some of their peers that, uh, that that may be in a tough spot. This is interesting, and I always love names that we don't talk about all the time. It's about an eight point three billion dollar market cap. LKQ Corporation. Tell us a little bit about this company. It plays into the automotive sector. Yeah, so we actually own their debt as well, which is interesting. Ah, but okay. when we we, we kind of look at things from an equity research so standpoint. So both equity and debt, you're owning. We do, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's another word for like and kind and quality uh, LKQ. And so when you have a uh, contract with your insurance company, essentially, if you get into a car accident, uh, you you call your insurance company, and what they tell you is that they're going to repair your car. They don't say that it's going to be with a new or an OEM piece. They just say that they're going to repair it exactly as it was. So LKQ makes refurbished and recycled auto parts, um, and they put it back on your car for about 50% of the cost of a new or an OEM part. So insurance companies absolutely love, love LKQ. Is there, their free cash flow looks pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, and, and you really wow. – not, not only that, but uh, you really cannot replicate uh, this business. They literally own uh, scrap yards everywhere and junkyards and everything that nobody's yeah. going to really want to get into that business. So very unique, uh, unique business. Single biggest risk for you in the market right now. I mean, we're coming off of comments from uh, Chair Powell, as you mentioned. Market seemed pretty okay with it, to put not too fine a point on it. Uh, trade, obviously, we may see something go one way or the other next week at the G20. But as you go through your portfolio, as you talk to the team, what's the thing that's really front of mind? Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, certainly uh, certainly this trade war has got uh, got everybody up in arms. You look at uh, was it yesterday the market's up three hundred and some points just because uh, yeah, Trump says he has a, a a nice long conversation with President Xi. So I think uh, things may not work out so well uh, next next Friday. I believe when they meet at the G twenty, uh, I just can't imagine it's going to be all uh, rainbows and unicorns type of thing where yeah. it's like hey look, we got a deal and we move on. So I, I think that's. Uh, you know, uh, the market's made a, a very good run. We're at new highs. Uh, you know, um, you got uh, a lot of good things going on. But, you know, kind of one of those things where maybe I would uh, look to, to take some chips off the table in, in companies that have reached uh, – if, if you've owned a company um, and it's kind of hit your 12-month price target today, uh, don't wait around. Put some points on the board and, and maybe hold a little bit more cash. i got to ask you about pool. I think we've yeah. talked about this with you. I mean, I just looked at, you know, this company <laughs> every year. You're talking about really some strong gains on this. Not a lot of debt, pretty decent cash flow. This is one of this is a, wow. this is a story that we've uh, we've owned since the IPO back in 1996, which is yeah. incredible. Um, this is uh, if you look at Pool Corporation, it's about an hour away from my house in New Orleans. Uh, these guys are as big as their top 50 Covington, competitors. Right? They're Covington, Louisiana. Yeah. And uh, but if you if you have your if you're getting chlorine put in your swimming pool, whether in, you're in New York or California or Texas, you're getting it supplied from Pool Corporation. So they are as big as their top 50 competitors uh, combined. Wow. Very, very solid business. It's yeah. up 26%. You're talking about a dividend that over the last five years, it's over 19% in terms of growth. And as I mentioned, not a lot of debt, decent cash flow. Yeah. And you're sounding like, so they're, are they the biggest player in this They space? are, by, by far. Because a lot of smaller, right? I think about And they just shops. keep gobbling them up. So they just gobble up these, uh, these suppliers and uh, turn their business to what it is. Just because yeah. we like to talk names, 20, 30 seconds. Visa, you also like this one, up almost 30% this year. It's been great. We bought wow. it in 2011. Our strategy is to hold stocks for the long run. Uh, yeah. We bought this when the Durban Amendment was going on, where there was going to be a big cloud over the company. Yeah. Uh, as the world goes to uh, a cashless society, Visa is going to continue to win. And that's what they'll tell you. Their biggest competitor is not MasterCard or PayPal. It's cash. Wow. That's a huge call. Yeah. I'm just looking at what it has done since 2011. I think it's up about 650%, give or take some. Yeah, and these MVP stocks, they call them MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, have outperformed yeah. the fangs, believe it or not. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Great Good. stuff. Sandy Villery, partner at Villery Funds, looking after about $2 billion down there in New Orleans. Great performance so far this year. Thank you so much for stopping by. This is Bloomberg Business Week. 
Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.